Welcome to Fiscal One-on-One. This Iowa Legislative Services Agency audio program consists of interviews conducted by the Fiscal Services Division staff. Each brief conversational interview features an expert answering questions concerning a fiscal topic of interest within an Iowa State agency. The following interview was conducted on September 13, 2012. Marcia Tanian of the Fiscal Services Division interviewed Tammy Nicholson, Director of the Office of Rail Transportation from the Iowa Department of Transportation, regarding historical and current rail transportation in Iowa. Hi, my name is Marcia Tanian, and I'm from the Fiscal Services Division, and I'm here with Tammy Nicholson, Director of the Office of Rail Transportation from the Iowa Department of Transportation to discuss rail transportation in Iowa. Thanks for being here, Tammy. Thank you. Tammy, could you start out today by telling us when rail was first introduced to Iowa? How long has it been here? Sure. Railroads began making inroads into Iowa in the 1860s. And then in 1862, President Lincoln signed the Pacific Railway Act of 1862, which directed the Union Pacific and Central Pacific Railroads to construct a transcontinental railroad. In 1869, the Golden Spike was driven in Utah, joining the two railroads to complete the first transcontinental railroad, which traverses Iowa to this day. After that, the railroads grew rapidly as the first reliable, rapid, long-distance transportation mode. Interesting. How many miles of railroad tracks exist in Iowa, and how many railroad companies do we have? Well, today there's over 3,900 miles of track, and Iowa has a very vital, diverse rail system that includes 17 freight railroads, ranging from large railroads that serve the entire western U.S., to switching railroads with just a few miles of track and then everything in between of sizes. And then Iowa also has two national passenger rail lines operated by Amtrak and those are the California Zephyr and the Southwest. Okay, and historically what was the peak of railroad miles in Iowa and has it decreased and if so, why? Yeah, the peak was in 1911 when there were approximately 11,000 miles of track wow. with a railroad station found in most Iowa towns. And then over time, as motor vehicles and the road system began to develop, the track mileage began to fall. And then a big change in the 1950s when the interstate highway system was built, it diverted a lot of freight from trains to trucks, leaving the rail system overbuilt from what the needs were. Profitability of the railroads fell and a lot of bankruptcies happened. And then that was really going on a lot through the 1970s and 80s. And then in 1980, Rail was largely deregulated by the Staggers Act, which resulted in a large drop in rail mileage as railroads were allowed to abandon unprofitable lines and bankruptcies were completed. Well, is there coverage across the entire state and how many counties have active railroads serving them? Yeah, I was real fortunate to still have a very rich network of railroads with railroads located in 90 of Iowa's 99 counties. When discussing freight rail, we hear the term ton mile. What is a ton mile? A ton mile means that one ton of freight moves one mile. As a unit, it provides a better picture of how far and how much freight moves than either measure does alone. So for an example of that, a train car carrying 100 tons traveling 30 miles would equate to 3,000 ton miles, and that same rail car traveling 500 miles would equate to 50,000 ton miles. So has tonnage moving over the Iowa rail network increased or decreased in recent decades? Well, the rail traffic in the recent past has increased dramatically with a slight downturn in the last couple of years with the recession in 2008. But between 1985 and 2006, 
the gross ton miles increased by 165% on the rail system. Wow, so even though the rail miles decrease, the ton miles are increasing. Yeah, so that just means that the trains that are on there, there's a lot of frequency and the trains are very long and still haul a lot of freight. What types of freight are moved by rail in, in Iowa, and has it changed over time since the first freight rail started? Well, a lot of the movements are agricultural and related products, and they've been a mainstay of the rail traffic coming into and out of the state for a long time. And those products are primarily grain, fertilizers, and chemicals or food products. And of the rail traffic moving through the state, coal has been a major commodity for quite a while. What percentage of Iowa's freight system is rail? and how much of Iowa's freight is carried by rail. Well, if you take a look and factor in all the highways, railroads, waterways, and pipelines, rail makes up about 3% of the total mileage. So when you're factoring in all of the highways, railroads, waterways, etc., is that about 130,000 miles of freight system? Yes, that's right. Rail just makes up about 3% of that total. But looking at beyond just the total mileage, because rail is uniquely suited to haul heavy and bulk commodities, the rail system carries about 43% of the freight by weight. Oh, interesting. Okay. And it's important to look at how big the rail cars are. Each rail car carries about the approximately of four semi-trailer loads. So a 100-car train keeps the equivalent of about 400 semi-trailers off of Iowa highways. Wow. I looked up on your website that the millions of tons traveling on the rail system, it's something over 330 million tons of freight traveling on the rail system. Yeah, that's right. So a pretty significant amount of freight traveling on Iowa's rail. Wow. How does the Iowa DOT assess the transportation systems and how it handles all of this freight traffic? Well, Iowa DOT is starting some new efforts to assess how well our transportation systems handle freight traffic and also look at ways in which freight movements can be enhanced. And so this is looking at more than just one mode. It's a multimodal effort looking at the highway system, the rail system, the waterways, including all means of transportation. And as part of that effort, uh, something that we've started here in summer of 2012 was a freight advisory council composed of representatives from freight shippers, carriers, and associated organizations. And they're gonna help the Department of Transportation identify barriers to efficient freight movements and advise the department on policy issues. Interesting, have they met yet? Yeah, we had our first meeting in August. Great, and for freight rail, I know the Railroad Revolving Loan and Grant Program is one that the General Assembly appropriates money to. How does it provide resources for freight rail? Yeah, sure, the Railroad Revolving Loan and Grant Program provides assistance to rail projects and things in the network that improve rail facilities that will spur economic development and growth preserve and improve the rail transportation network, and then also helps to fund planning rail transportation facilities. So what kind of projects would probably come within that program? Yeah, the, some of the projects assist businesses in adding or improving rail infrastructure, and that allows those businesses to take advantage of lower rail rates to ship their products. Other projects that have been funded through that program include rail infrastructure to serve industrial parks developed by communities to help attract new rail surf businesses, and then also projects that improve the rail network infrastructure by building or rehabilitating track or rail bridges. A good example of that was following the floods of 2008, which severely damaged or destroyed a great deal of rail infrastructure in eastern and northeastern Iowa. The Railroad Revolving Loan and Grant Program was able to quickly provide loans 
and to provide capital for small railroads to get back into business serving customers after the flood. When you say rail infrastructure, sometimes it's something like a spur line just to get the freight to the industrial plant or the ethanol plant or the biodiesel plant, yeah, whatever the industry is. Right, a lot of times there is industry that has rail service close by but needs a rail spur to be able to get that product from the company onto the rail service so they'll build a rail spur to, to hook up to the main line. Okay, interesting. Well, we've discussed briefly freight rail, but let's look at passenger rail for a moment. And you had mentioned that currently Amtrak has the two passenger rail routes serving Iowa. Were there other passenger rail service routes in the state historically? Yeah, there were. Passenger rail was very common throughout the state in the early 20th century. And by the 1950s, many of the smaller passenger routes had disappeared and gone unprofitable as America's use of the automobile really increased. Oh, sure. And then uh, in 1970, Congress created Amtrak to help preserve critical long-distance rail service for Americans. And with the current efforts for passenger rail, the planning study for Omaha to Chicago, a route through Des Moines, what does that entail for the DOT and how long will that take? The Chicago to Omaha Regional Passenger Rail System will fulfill the environmental and planning study requirements that are necessary in order for the project to become eligible for federal funding. Okay. And the study is going to provide very high level information on what we need to do for, to the infrastructure to improve the route to accommodate passenger rail, what the expected ridership might be, what the costs are, and then also look at some operational alternatives for the route. And a big milestone of that project, a draft environmental impact statement, is expected to be complete later this year and available for public comment in December of 2012. You also have been getting public input through the summer, I believe, is that right? Yes, we've had public meetings on that project back in the spring and then also have an extensive online public outreach and information on our website. Are you getting a lot of feedback? We're getting a lot of feedback. Quite a few people are interested in filling out surveys and expressing their opinions on the service. Terrific. How does the DOT work with surrounding states to coordinate rail efforts? Well, for passenger rail, the Iowa DOT has been a member of the Midwest Regional Rail Initiative since 1996. And this group is a technical group that's created a plan and associated studies for a hub-and-spoke system of passenger rail throughout the Midwest with the hub of that system being in Chicago. And also, Iowa works closely with other states on studies and plans for the regional passenger rail service that crosses state borders. In addition to the passenger rail for freight rail, Iowa participates in a nationwide group of states that look at the policies and funding programs that help to promote rail as part of the nation's transportation system. And this is associated with a group that's commonly referred to as AASHTO, which is the American Association of State Highway Transportation Officials. And just for clarification for our listeners, the Midwest Regional Rail Initiative that you just mentioned is different than the Midwest Interstate Passenger Rail Compact that Iowa has recently left. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. The Midwest Regional Rail Initiative is a group of the state DOTs, so the transportation professionals dealing with rail and passenger rail within the state. So it's a group of state uh, DOTs. And then the Midwest Interstate Passenger Commission, or Compact, was more of a legislative type of a group. So the initiative sounds like it's much more technical in its work. 
Yes, it's much more technical and it is state DOTs partnering with the Federal Railroad Administration and Amtrak. What other roles does DOT have related to rail? For example, do you have a role in rail safety in Iowa? Yeah, we definitely do. The Iowa DOT takes a very active role in rail and rail highway safety. We have some programs for rail safety programs that assist cities and counties and railroads in the installation of crossing safety improvements at the railroad highway grade crossings and also to help rebuild and maintain the roadway surface improvements at crossings. The DOT employs two track inspectors who travel the state to help assure that the railroad's infrastructure meets the federal safety standards. Earlier we had discussed that the decrease in rail miles. How many miles have been abandoned in the last few decades? Well the abandons really range a lot widely from year to year but in the recent few years we've had abandonments that seldom exceed 40 miles annually. Most abandonments that do occur are on lines that have been out of service for a period of time or on very small rail segments that no longer serve a business. So although there was a decrease from that peak that you mentioned in the early 1900s in terms of rail miles, it sounds like it's starting to stabilize? It's very much stabilized. We've had pretty short segments of abandonment over the last several years and then some of those lines there's been a couple of larger railroads that have sold parts to smaller railroads that just have a, be able to service those smaller routes better. What happens when these railroad miles are abandoned? Well, if there's an interest in the abandoned rail corridor for a trail, the local communities or a nonprofit agency acting on behalf of the local jurisdictions can negotiate with the abandoning railroad for a purchase. And then if a mutually agreeable price is settled upon, the railroad will salvage equipment from the line, such as the track, any usable ties, switches, those kind of things, before transferring the property to a new owner. The property, in a situation like that where it's going to be abandoned and picked up by a trail, the property will retain the grading, bridges, culverts, etc. needed for the trail, and then the trail owners take possession of the property with the stipulation that the corridor must remain intact and available for future rail use. Oh, that's interesting. What entity determines if it's acceptable to abandon these particular rail miles and what role does the Iowa DOT have in this whole process? Well, the Surface Transportation Board, which is referred to as the STB, is an office within the U.S. Department of Transportation, is responsible for regulating the abandonments. And so there's different processes in place for rail lines which might have been unused for a period of time versus those that have existing customers. And then so among the things that the STB looks at in an abandoning proceeding include the profitability of the line, the current rail traffic, and what service alternatives there might be for existing customers such as different modes of transportation, environmental concerns, and other factors in their decision. The Iowa DOT has a very limited role in the abandonment process when an abandonment is likely to have significant impacts for an area or community, we make sure that the residents are aware of the action and the process. And we can also make comments and have done that before on the merits of an abandonment for the board to consider. And in some situations, communities have come forward to preserve the rail service that was in danger through an abandonment. And when they appeal, that's to the Surface Transportation Board? Yes. It's not something through you? Correct. What we do is mostly try to provide them information on what the processes are and help them understand what the Surface Transportation Board's processes are. Okay. Tammy, this has been very informative. I know there's much more information we could talk about on the topic of rails. Do you have any information you wanted to add for the listeners? 
Thank you for having me here to talk about this, and we have a lot of information on our website. Oh, sure. Is that www.iowadot.gov, and then you click on the Rails tab, or you could also get to it by www.iowarail, all one word, .com. That's right. Both of those addresses get you to our website. Okay, terrific. Thanks again, Tammy. Okay, thank you. Thank you.